Pastors ask me to share my story. When, when this night is over, I really don't care whether you know my story or not. That's not why you came to church. What I'm interested in is that you will see how God is writing a good story in your life. And sometimes uses some dark chapters along the way, as any good author does. But they're not the last chapter, because God's not a French movie producer. Anyway. <laughs> I want to start my story by taking you to Psalm 74. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the 74th Psalm? You know, they sang these things, right? This was like the worship hymnal back in the day. And imagine if you came to 613 service and the worship leader said, hey, join me in worship tonight. And the opening lyrics were, Psalm 74, verse 1, why have you rejected us forever? <laughs> oh, God. There'd be a worship, it's called a worship, huh? Have you ever prayed those kind of prayers? The where are you? As Danny said, sometimes God's near, sometimes he's powerful, and sometimes he seems like distant. What's happening here in Psalm 74 is quite simple. Something holy was under attack. The specific uh, situation that this songwriter is responding to in a poetic way, the way he's dealing with grief is as he's writing a song because he has been an eyewitness to that holy temple that you read about in the Old Testament that Solomon built, ornate, beautiful, gold, uh, holy, all, all of it, and a foreign army had come in with hatchets and axes and torches and had completely decimated the entire thing, destroyed it all, ripped out all the valuables and, and turned it into just a pile of rubble. And according to some ancient scholars, the way that an army really showed that they desecrated a place, showed that they fully conquered it, is the army would gather around afterwards and urinate on top of the rubble. The, the psalmist has been an eyewitness of this and, and the noise of, of that destruction, the mocking of the voices, and it just resonates in his heart, and he writes this, this song. And he gets down to verse, uh, but by the way, we, we don't have that happening here in Castro Valley today, praise God. Although one of your sister churches in Syria got destroyed recently with the ISIS crisis, but um, they immediately rebuilt and, and uh, they're baptizing people. And, <laughs> uh, praise God, yes. <clears throat> but would you not agree with me that right here in Castro Valley there are some holy things that are still under attack today? Marriages, human bodies, souls, relationships. <laughs> Holy things are still under attack today, and that's the context of this song. And he gets down to verse 9. Have you ever felt this way? Verse 9, we are given no miraculous signs, no prophets are left, and none of us knows how long this will be. God, where are you? Now, when we're in a crisis, most of us ask two questions. It's kind of human nature. doesn't matter where. Most of us ask two questions when we're in crisis. You tell me what those questions are. First question, why? Exactly. Why is this happening? What's going on? Why, why, why? And the second question, yes. Uh, I'm just amazed how universal this is. How long? When's it, how long is this going to last? In America, we want that answer to be like 30 seconds, you know. <laughs> Look at it. Verse 10, how long 
Will the enemy mock you, O God? Verse 11, why? Why do you hold back your hand? Take it from the fold of your garment. Do you hear what he's saying? God, would you get your hands out of your pockets, please? Would you do something here? Have you been that honest with God? Sometimes we read the Bible too fast. When you're flying along, you're thinking, oh, boy, this guy's having a bad day. Well, you know. But he is about, as a songwriter, to change keys. As a, as a poet, to, to have a, a major emotional shift in the poem. And like a, like a person whose, whose thought life is going like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting upset, I'm getting upset, and then they put the brakes on. Whoa, we stop right there. He says in verse 12, but you, oh God, are my king. I can't find you. I can't see you. I wish you'd get your hands out of your pockets. I don't know what's going on here. But this much I know. I have a God. I shared at the morning service today. Have you been to a high school or college graduation ceremony in the last 20 years? If you have, you've probably heard the same speech. doesn't matter what state in the United States it was. It was pretty much one person wrote it 20 years ago, and everybody's been using it since. I, I, I can give you the speech in 20 seconds. Here it is. Students, you have an unlimited reservoir of human potential within you to accomplish any dream, to overcome any obstacle. All you must do is believe in yourself, dig deeply within yourself, and you can accomplish anything in this world. Go, students. Okay, thank you. You've heard the same speech. All right. Well, how's that working for you? I'm serious. Maybe at 18 or in your 20s when you graduate from college, you think you have some unlimited reservoir of human potential. <laughs> but about age 33, you're going to wake up tired. Right, Pastor Danny? <laughs> and you're going to get up one morning, and you're going to think, dude, <laughs> if all I got is what I find in here, I'm in trouble. And yes, I want to announce to America, you are officially in trouble if all you have is what you find in here. You're in trouble in this life and the next to come. But those, but those of us who have become followers of Jesus Christ have a completely different story, do we not? We, to accomplish any dream and to overcome an obstacle, it's not about you trying harder, digging deeper in yourself, believing in yourself. No, 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 no. We have given the allegiance of our life to someone else. We have given the allegiance of our life to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have invited his rule, his reign, his kingdom to come into our lives so that it isn't just about me trying harder. It's me leaning in to the God of all this universe. Now, that's a whole different approach. <laughs> I am a happy follower of Jesus Christ. And this songwriter, in the midst of a horrendous situation where his heart has been ripped apart, he, he expresses honestly his grief. But then he says, but this much I know. I have a God. And then he tells us who this God is, what this God is like. Now, in the next couple of verses, he does some poetic stuff where Egypt, where they had been in bondage, becomes a sea monster, and I'm not going to get into all that. But in verse 14, uh, 15, in verse 15, you read this. Psalm 74, 15. Here's who his king is. It was you, my king, who opened up springs and streams. Well, what's that about? That's, that's about water. California. That's about water. And then where, where there's water, there can be like life and, and abundance and golf courses and all sorts of things, you know, right? It's you who, who gives us prosperity. 
Well, we love that in America, the God of prosperity. And he is that. He is that. But look what comes next in the verse. You opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. Not, not the seasonal streams that dry up every June anyway. No, no, the ever-flowing. Count on it at all times. Sacramento's and Mississippi's. You dry up the ever-flowing river, the God of drought. Well, which is it? Mr. Songwriter, is he the God of abundance or is he the God of, of like, drought and hard times? Huh. Look what comes next. The day is yours. We like that. The God of the daytime, the God of the good time. And yours also the night. You established sun and moon. It was you who set all the boundaries of the earth. You made both summer and, I'm from Colorado, winter. <laughs> Do you see what this poet is doing? It's fabulous. He's saying, here's who my God is. My God is the God of your best time, the God of abundance, the God of day, the God of sun, the God of summer, and my God is also the God of the worst times. He's, he's the God of the drought and the moon and the nights and the winter. My God is big enough not only for your best day but also your worst too much American theology is the God of the good times only. And this songwriter is saying to us, no, 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 he's bigger than that. If you've only come to know God as a God of, of good times, then your God isn't quite big enough yet. So with that background, let me tell you the story, just to keep Pastor Danny happy. <clears throat> My wife and I had the pleasure of living Salem, Oregon, you get on I-5 and drive far enough, you're going to get to Oregon, and there was a sister a church to cast to three crosses. And I wish you could meet my wife. You'd like me a lot better if you knew my wife, but, but uh, she couldn't be with me this weekend. We had the pleasure of raising three kids, uh, fine young adults, Andrew, Anna, and Josiah. I just love being parents. And we were, uh, my daughter got me involved in this crazy sport called long-distance running. I always made fun of runners, you know, little shorts, colorful shoes, no ball. Why would you run without a ball? Give me a ball, I'll run. No ball, no run. That was the rule. <laughs> but we started uh, running together, and I got involved in these things called ultra marathons. Those are races for guys too stupid to run to stop at 26 miles, so we just keep going 50K, 60K, up and down the mountains of Oregon. I absolutely loved it, loved it. Speaking of mountains, not my best day on Mount Hood, but oh well. Fishing has always been a great love, and this was a pretty good day on the Columbia River. So I show you those pictures not to do a Facebook page. I'm simply, I'm simply trying to establish the fact that at age 47, I was a healthy guy. Had never spent a day in the hospital spent since birth. Had healthy habits, so I thought. Uh, my mother is now 96, lives on her own in northern Minnesota. <laughs> you don't mess with Melba Thora. <laughs> so I had good genes, good health history. I had no reason to be concerned. October 18th, 2008, notice I had a little rash on my body after I'd taken a 10-mile run, and, and uh, I blamed it on my wife. Sorry, honey. I thought she changed the laundry detergent. She hadn't, and so I didn't think much of it. But by the end of the week, 
something was attacking my muscular system and I was too weak to operate a car. I had to ask her to come pick me up and drive me home. Um, I would go in for various tests and soon be hospitalized and would spend uh, a few days dying. <laughs> Um, I was transferred to the top research hospital up in Oregon. I went into the hospital weighing 190, which you see right now, ballooned in that picture to 260 because my body couldn't process any fluids. And um, was five times my wife was brought into the room because I'm not responding, or if you want to see your husband alive, you better come now. Family gathered from around the nation. The church gathered for prayer. I was unconscious for five days. My whole system was shutting down, and they had no idea why. It was rapid, and it was strong. 77 days in the hospital. After the coma era, I had a lot of time to think, and I'd play through various scenarios in my head, laying there in that bed, and I'd think, well, if this happens, I'll die. But if I die, I'll be with Jesus. But if this happens, I'll die. But if I die, I'll be with Jesus. <laughs> no matter what bad scenario I could come up with, I always ended up with Jesus. <laughs> now, how good is that, huh? <laughs> I, I want to celebrate that it's a very sweet thing to be on your deathbed and for death to be the least of your worries. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. The New Testament says, book of Hebrews, that Jesus died to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. As long as you're still afraid to die, you're really not free to live. But when you are now have faced the reality that death will come and that salvation has come and the resurrection will come and heaven will come and you'll be with Jesus and all that, if you really have dealt with death in a way that's freed you from fear, now you're really ready to live. <laughs> Praise God for the resurrection. I did slip into, they, they were throwing all sorts of medication at me because they didn't know what was wrong, so they kept trying to uh, experiment with different things, and I slipped into this stage of hallucinations. That was a trip. <laughs> the tap dancers on the wall were really cool. You would have liked those guys. They were kind of fun, but those fish that were swimming in the curtains were rather concerning. <laughs> uh, Blackfish about this big swimming inside those little security curtains. I don't know how they got in there, but they were alive, and they were, they were moving, and, and they were coming after me. If one of them bit you, it was no big deal. Uh, but if two of them bit you at the same time, you died, kind of like an electrical shock going through your system. And I really didn't mind dying. I just didn't want to die by fish bite. That seemed like a really weak way to go. <laughs> you, you know a lot when you're having hallucinations. Uh, I told my wife one day, do you know where those nurses came from? Don't trust those ladies. You know where they came from? They are from an Eastern European nation as an effort to take over the United States of America by way of nurses that have human upper bodies and styrofoam lower bodies, which I was really jealous of as a long-distance runner. They were going to get me some of those. But Then just came the long days of being sick and no longer dying and not getting better and I was released in the hospital after 77 days with the statement, you stumped us all. They were not able. They had run blood tests and muscle biopsies, skin biopsies, spinal tap, scans and scans. Uh, they sent my blood and body parts all over the United States of America trying to figure out what was wrong with me. There was probably a part that ended up in the Bay Area somewhere. But, but, but uh, dismissed with the statement, you stumped us all. We'll have to call it the Stumbo Syndrome. And 
I had lost in those 77 days 50 pounds of muscle. I went in weighing 190, ballooned to 260, and came out at 140. And I was placed into the care of my wife, who took her wedding vows seriously. She had no idea what she was saying as a young woman on that Alliance Church platform saying for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. But she kept her vows seriously and stood by me, became my caregiver. I couldn't care for myself. I was profoundly weak. I couldn't care for myself in any way, shape, or form. And you can imagine all those things that she had to do for me. And she became my caregiver. And somebody in this room has probably done the same thing for a sibling or a parent. And can I just say thank you? Those of us in these wheelchairs aren't always as grateful as we should be, at least not the first year or two of the journey. Because grief and gratitude are very uncomfortable companions. But can I say, you gave us a quality of life that we wouldn't have had otherwise, and blessed are the caregivers, for in you we have seen the Christ. Thank you for serving people like me. I started into physical therapy. I was going to beat this thing. I used to bench 225 with my son. Now they gave me a one-pound dumbbell. <clears throat> it looked like a dog biscuit. <laughs> but I have to say that if I had not done physical therapy and entered in fully with that physical therapist, or terrorist, or whatever she was, um, <laughs> that, that I would not be standing here today because here's something that somebody in the room needs to hear. You have a part in your own healing journey. There are some things that others can do for you, and you need to learn to receive the help. But there are some things that only you can do for yourself, and you cannot. You cannot throw that responsibility onto somebody else or on God. There are some things that only God can do, but I'm pretty sure that he often refuses to do that which we can actually do for ourselves. And so it was a painful, ugly experience. <laughs> uh, but I would not be on my feet walking up this hill to join you tonight if uh, we're not for, for that. And they poked a hole in my stomach to, uh, so that I could live. Uh, I, I didn't know that part of the profound muscle weakness would also affect my swallow, and I completely lost the ability to swallow. You, do you realize what a complex system that the hyoid bone and dozens of nerves and muscles that have to work in perfect synchronization for you to get the saliva that's in your mouth that you're now awkwardly aware of. <laughs> I love that moment. And that saliva that's in your mouth for you to get it to the back of your throat, for the epiglottis to go down, for the esophagus to open, for all that to work together in perfect harmony is the design of a master creator. Amazing complexity of what's taking place right here. But mine, in the profound muscle weakness that completely ceased to function, my, my esophagus looked like a belly button. It did not move. It sat there tight four times. I saw it on camera. Two, two by way of an ear, nose, throat doctor who has, have you been to one of those guys? They've got a nifty little hose with a light and a camera on the end of it. And uh, he brought it toward me, and I flinched a little bit. And he said, oh, I do this to five-year-olds. You'll be fine. That's doctor speak for man up, buddy. <laughs> so he ran the hose up the nose, gave me a guided tour of places I never wanted to see. And he's all excited because he's going to help me. Nobody else helped me. He's going to help me. But he gets to the back of the throat, and he groaned. And he said, oh, you don't have cancer and you don't have injury. That's bad news. I could fix those things. What you have is inoperable in both senses of the word. There's no operation that can fix it, and it's completely non-operating. So 
I lived on seven cans a day of two words which should never be put together, medical food. Which is it? Is it medicine or is it food? Don't tell me it's both. But anyway, breakfast, lunch, dinner, a drink, uh, medication. If it didn't go in the tube, it didn't go in the body because this was non-functioning. And when I mean I couldn't swallow, I mean I couldn't swallow. That means my saliva. And your body continues to generate saliva. At least you hope it does. Uh, but So I had to live spitting. Spit rags, spit towels, spit cups, street corners, your shoe. I mean, anything. It was... I hated it. It was embarrassing. It was gross. It was rude, but it was life. How did your pastor die? Oh, he drowned in his own spit. That's real happy. So you see paper towel next to me because my wife would rip off 15 pieces of paper towel and put it by my pillow each night so I'd have something to spit in in the night because 24 hours a day. That was 2009, the entire year of 2009. Didn't eat a single bite of food, didn't drink a single drop of water. And at first, like some of us in a crisis, I was going to beat this thing. You just, just, you know, go after it. I'm a long-distance runner. We'll just, we'll just hammer it. But as the months wore on, I wore down. You know what the hardest thing to do for us in 2009? Go to church. All those happy songs, all those happy people. Huh. Irritating. Friends, when you need people the most, you're probably going to want to be with them the least. Or let me say it the opposite. When you want to be with people the least, you need to be with them the most. Keep showing up at 613. Keep showing up in your small group. Keep answering the phone. Keep leaning into community. Do not isolate yourself, my friend. Don't give in to that temptation. The other difficult thing in 2009, well, long list, but one more. I would open the Bible almost every day as I had a lifelong habit of doing, but in 2009, this started to feel like sandpaper to my soul. Irritating, abrasive, all those happy promises, all those miracles. I, I couldn't find God. Friend, just because God seems silent does not mean that he's absent. And just because he seems silent in languages that you're accustomed to hearing does not mean that he isn't speaking to you in some other way. Some of us are only accustomed to hearing from God in, in, in small, narrow kinds of ways. You, you ever heard the love languages, you know, Gary Smalley, five love languages? If, if Gary came up with five ways of saying I love you, how many do you think the God of this universe has? He's unlimited in his ability. If he can make Babel, thousands of languages in a single moment, how many ways do you think God has of saying, I love you? Well, we're only accustomed to hearing a few of them. And in pain, we can learn new languages of love if we're open to hearing. Let me get real practical. One of them that took place for me, I was complaining to God one day, I can't find you, I can't hear from you, where are you? And I felt like, I heard a whisper in my heart that said, just look out your window. I didn't want to look out my window. I knew who was outside my window. Jack was outside my window. Mr. Nice Guy, Handyman, do anything for anybody at any moment. Jack, you know what I'm talking about, right? He was out mowing my yard. I, 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 he was out working there, and, and I was upset about it. See, I, 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 first of all, I like grass. Um, this kind of grass? <laughs> I'm from Colorado. you got to explain these things. <clears throat> I love to mow my yard, and, and second of all, I don't like to be helped. 
I, I was a pastor for 25 years. I like to serve. I like to help. I, I don't want to be on the receiving end. I, I don't want... I certainly didn't want to hear God saying I love you by somebody out there helping me in my yard. You see what the blockage was? I was too proud to be on the receiving end. I didn't want to hear I love you from that. I started to wear down emotionally. I, I um, had to resign from my job at the church as the months went on. Uh, and... Uh, we did learn a lesson that it's legal to hang on to somebody else's faith when your own faith is down to a tiny thread. That's why you need to stay in community because somebody's still believing for you, but if you isolate, you, you can't lean on to their faith for a while. And then you know what? Someday you're going to be strong and they're going to be hanging on to your faith for a while. But So we took turns, my wife and I, leaning on to each other's faith. and Then the church asked me if I'd come back and give a brief message. We have a video clip that we're going to show you, and it takes two and a half minutes to watch. What you will not be able to see is there's a wound vacuum attached to my leg from a biopsy gone bad. The feeding tube is tucked under my shirt. That's, that's hidden. The tracheotomy is healed well by then. Um, I'm standing at a walker. I still weigh 140 pounds. I haven't gained an ounce on that feeding tube stuff. What you will see is, is uh, spit rags emerging from my pocket, so I have something to spit in. And what you'll also see is, uh, what I want you to see is, is a guy wrestling with faith in the middle of a crisis, having no idea where the story leads. This was the best I could do with where is God in the midst of this. This is from 2009. I don't really like... The journey I'm on. I want you to know God is in it and God is good. God is in this journey and God can only be good. He is to me forever, praise. Some of you don't like the journey you're on either right now. You're in a, you're in a tough, a tough spot. Economically, hard time. Physically, bad news. Relationally, tough situation. Emotionally, struggling. Please know and he, according to Psalm 139, according to Psalm 139, he is the God of the light and the darkness. Too much. Too much American theology is in the God on the light only. But the scripture is clear that he's the God of the day and the night, the light and the dark. The victory and the battle. The battle. Job didn't like his situation 
Jeremiah did like his life circumstance. Jesus did like being in the garden. I don't like my situation, but God is given and God is good. If you understood any of that, congratulations. <laughs> I used to preach long sermons about God. Now I was down to one sentence. He's in it. He's good. That's all I know. Crises has a way of stripping us down to the raw core. All the fluff of what we thought we believed gets us right down to the basics. I'm pretty aware that somebody in the room is, I don't know who you are, but that you're in 2009 right now. You don't know where your story leads. You don't have to like the chapter. It's not required of you to like the chapter. But I'm challenging you to believe that your author is good. And as you hang on to him, he's going to write a good story in your life. It won't be a repeat of another story. He's way too creative of an author to do that. He doesn't rewrite stories because he ran out of material. <laughs> no, 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 no. And please take ownership for what your part is in the crisis that you're in and the part of what your part is in, in, in the recovery or the healing or the growth. Yes, yes, you have a part in this, but, but you're not on your own like some high school graduation speech tells you. No, 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 no. You have a king. You have a lord. You have a master. You have a guide. You have a comforter. You have a friend. You have a healer. You have a forgiver. You have a sustainer. You have somebody who walks with you. You're not on your own. Rebuke that lie. <laughs> One of the problems is, in a time like that, is sometimes we develop these word pictures that come into our head for, to describe our condition. Our word picture may feel very accurate, may be very unhelpful. For example, I saw myself as being roadkill. <laughs> okay? And, and it's very simple how that came. A friend of mine would call and say, John, you were run over by a truck. You were just doing your thing and wham, you were nailed in the road. And he was encouraging me. <laughs> And it was nice to know that he saw how significant and how fast it had happened, but, but after a while, it's kind of demoralizing to see yourself as that raccoon, raccoon that's, you know, flat and keeps getting driven over. <laughs> God, I need a different picture. I would challenge you, especially in a time of crisis, to become a student of your own thought life. And do not accept every thought as truth, and do not accept every thought as something that you should hang on to. Some thoughts are to be identified, rebuked, and replaced. But I didn't know what to replace this with. I didn't want to come up with some, you know, artificial thing. And so I was praying about it. God, I need a different picture. What's going on here? He did not answer that prayer in five minutes or even five days. I, it was weeks or months. I, I honestly don't know. But one day, I saw, 
in my mind just for a second, hands that were working a clay pot on a wheel. The pot was going around, looked like a nice pot to me. The hands were working the pot, and all of a sudden, the artist took his hands and went and took that pot down to the base. He did not pick up the clay and throw it away. No, the wheel was still spinning. The clay was still on the wheel. The artist's hands were still damp. They were still working the clay, but he was doing a do-over on that piece of art. God, is that my story? Yeah. But I like the old pot. <laughs> I like the running, eating, preaching, John. I don't like the sitting, spitting, silent, John. But God, if your hands are still in my life, if you're doing a do-over in me, then I'm in. I had a two-word answer. I'm in. I didn't know where it would lead. I didn't know if I'd ever eat or speak or drink or anything again. But suddenly... I knew that the God of this universe was somehow involved in my story. And I want to stand here and say to you, the God of this universe is involved in your story. His hands are upon you. His love is for you. His presence is with you. Well, a year passed. In God's kindness uh, and through physical therapy and the help of uh, spin off of plasma. If you've ever donated plasma to make an extra 50 bucks, thank you. I've got some of your blood in me. And um, <clears throat> through, I, I, was, I was strengthened enough in my major muscle groups. Uh, it did nothing for my swallow. There was no nerve movement. Five swallow therapists passed me off. They had given up. There was nothing for them to do. But I had gone from the wheelchair to a walker to a cane, and I had gone from... <laughs> the passenger seat back to the driver's seat. Whew. A whole year of my wife driving me around. That was a sanctification test for both of us. There, there, was, there, was, a day, there was a day I was sitting at a stoplight in the passenger seat. My wife's driving, Dodge Green Caravan, window rolled down. I'm sitting there and a big red pickup, huge tires, testosterone pouring out the tailpipe. Boom, 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 boom. You know the kind of truck I'm talking about, right? Probably had a Raiders bumper sticker on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> Big guy in the, in the driver's seat looks down at me and says, Dude, you're in the wrong seat, man. Get over there where you belong. Oh, you're killing me, you redneck. You know? <clears throat> but after a whole year, I'm now back in the driver's seat, and, and we decided to go on a road trip. Our son was graduated from college in Minnesota, and we decided to go celebrate his college graduation and thank some people along the way and make a real road trip out of it and drive from Oregon to Minnesota by way of Tennessee. And uh, I had nine cases of medical food in the back of the car, so I'd have something to live on during that road trip. And off we went, got to Denver, Colorado, thanked some friends there who prayed for us, got to Hayes, Kansas, nothing to report there, got on to St. Louis, Missouri, and I was having breakfast one day. Breakfast. <laughs> and by now, eight, we're 18 months into this story. It's April of 2010. And by then, the word of God was fresh again. If you stay and stay and stay, the word will come alive to you again. And I was enjoying Psalm 108, which says, the help of man is worthless. <laughs> I laughed at that because they had given up in my swallow, nothing that they knew to do. We will act valiantly 
Oh, there it is again. I have a part in my own healing journey, but victory comes from the Lord. There are some things that only God can do. So I'm meditating on that. I look down and my feeding tube is stuck. The fluid's not flowing anywhere. No big deal. Happens many times. With that syringe that you saw, they give you a little plunger that goes with it. Now you want to do this gently because it's like shooting right into your stomach and you only want to power wash your stomach at a certain speed. And so you, know, you push it in gently, but, but, um, but I, I pushed and it wouldn't go anywhere. Well, I'm weak, so I wasn't surprised that I could do it so I stood up against the hotel wall <laughs> couldn't get it to budge my wife came in the room I said honey you got to help me she came over and and uh, she had done it many times before no big deal and she leaned over me and she pushed and it didn't move and it was at that moment that I started to get worried this is my sole source of hydration medication nutrition nothing goes into my body if it doesn't go through that hole and that hole is now clogged for some unknown reason Honey, you just got to push as hard as you can. You got to force this thing. She was reluctant to do so, and I was reluctant to have it done. But what are we going to do? We're half a continent away from our doctors, and my sole source is now non-operable. And so I'm in a roller chair, like at a desk. There's a sliding glass door behind me. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, boy, if this thing blows, it's going to blow me right out that door. But, but it didn't. She, muscles quivering. She couldn't get that thing to move. We poured Pepsi in there. We tried other methods of trying to get that thing, and nothing worked. And we cleaned up the mess and went out to the parking lot and held each other and prayed the weakest prayer I think I've ever prayed. Basically, really? <laughs> Texted my family, pray for me or I'll have to go to the emergency room. Feeding tube stuck. My sister in Indiana, who's a fabulous cook, texted back, and we were going to see her in a few days. She texted back, what can we do? In my spirit, something was stirring within me that said, tell her to bake a cheesecake. Now that would have been a step of faith, right? <laughs> uh, I didn't have any faith. It's like, why? Uh, no. No. And I just texted back the Christian answer, Pray. I believe in prayer, but sometimes prayer is a cop-out for what God's actually calling us to do. Anyway, we got into the car, and we're driving down the road, and why don't you just go to an emergency room? Well, there's lots of emergency rooms between St. Louis and wherever we were driving next, and I just needed time to pray and think and whine <laughs> to God. And I, I was kind of stewing as I drove, and my wife, I looked over, and there she was like Hannah, in the Old Testament, remember that story? Weeping silently as she calls out to God. As she has done many times before, she reaches over and prays for me. I've really got to fast forward the story now, but I feel the tiniest twinge of movement come right here. Something I had not felt in 18 months. Something happened right there. Really? Could it? Could it be on the day that my tube was stuck would be the day that God would heal me? Really? I did something at that moment. The medical community is like, no, not liquids. You see, liquids go immediately to the lungs. The doctors don't like it when you suck orange juice into your lungs. But I took the, my wife had a little orange suck, took a little sip of orange juice, and I felt that orange juice go all the way down and a little burp come all the way back up. Life was returning to the system. <laughs> we stopped at a Casey's gas station in Grayville, Illinois, and held each other in the parking lot. 
and uh, declared, Greater is he that is in me than the disease that attacks me, and threw away that spit cup and never had to use it again. You did want to be careful when you rode with us in the car, Joanna's Diet Coke in one cup holder, my spit cup in the other cup holder, and didn't want to mix those guys up. Threw away the spit cup. Next, next, now Joanna's driving. I'm in the passenger seat because I got work to do. We, she, we had a little bit of yogurt in the car, and, and I, I was able to eat four ounces of Yoplait red raspberry yogurt. I haven't eaten since the Bush administration. I can now see plastic. I can see plastic at the bottom of this yogurt cup. This is a photo op moment. We pulled over to a rest stop, had the first guy walking by. <laughs> We didn't even tell him why we took the picture. Yeah, he's, you know, why did I take a picture of a dorky couple with a yogurt cup? But anyway, we, we, we next stop, Wendy's. <laughs> Bought the biggest frosty that they'd sell me. Finished the night off with a bowl of chili. <laughs> go big or go home, right? And Sweetest of all to me, woke up the next morning without a single spit rig, spit towel, spit cup. I had slept through the night for the first time in a year and a half, swallowing my own saliva. Thank you, Jesus. Two things, two things right here, okay, that I want you to understand about God. Sometimes he reveals his sovereignty through timing. Sometimes he lets you know he's in charge by the timing of what he does. Our, my Jesus, my Jesus can do anything at any time for anybody, right? He can do anything at any time for anybody, but sometimes he, 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 he waits till now <laughs> so that you know that it was him and you don't give credit to coincidence or something stupid like that, okay? Second thing I want you to know is he didn't heal everything at that moment. Well, God, what? I don't think I've ever told this to a congregation before. At that gas station, they were throwing away the spit cup, and they had a free sample of macadamia nut cookies, so I, you know, had one of those. That was fun. <laughs> Hadn't eaten that. I also bought a lottery ticket. <laughs> Second lottery ticket I ever bought in my life. I, bought, I thought, well, for a buck, maybe this is my day, you know. <laughs> oh, I probably shouldn't have told it. Anyway. <laughs> That one's not in the book. I didn't have God to put that in the book. Here's the point. Here's the point. My Jesus can do anything for anybody at any moment, but, but it's not like, okay, this is your day, so I'm going to heal all your body and give you a million bucks. And, you know, I say, no, 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 no. His plan is so f interwoven and fascinating and specific. I still, I still wrestle with some issues uh, that I'm, I'm, I'm in, you know, trying to regain, but... <sighs> How sweet of God to wait for that moment and do what he did. See, I said two. Here, here's a third. <laughs> I would have been robbed if God had healed me a year earlier. I would have been robbed if God had healed me too soon. There were things that he needed to do in our marriage that could only be done <laughs> in a time of me humbling myself and receiving care from my wife because I had been a pretty arrogant, ignorant husband. 
There were things in my soul that could only be enlarged as I entered into the depth of that pain. Grieving well enlarges your soul. Grieving poorly makes you a shriveled, bitter, ugly person. Petty, grieving well makes you a large person in an inner place. There were so many things that could not have been done otherwise. Friends, some of you are in 2009 right now. And I'm coming to you tonight and saying, God is writing a good story in your life. He sometimes uses dark chapters along the way. They're not the last chapter. You won't have somebody else's story written into your, no, no, it's your story between you and God, but he is the author of really good stories as long as you hang on to him. You will need faith in the process. He already told us that. Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please me because anyone who comes to me must believe that I exist and that I am a rewarder to those who diligently seek me. Thanks for hearing my story tonight. But more than my story, <laughs> could some of you tonight reach out and hang on to the faith that I'm offering to you or reach over to the faith that one of your friends is offering to you and, and make a willful determination that though he confused me, though he seems silent, I'm going to trust him. Job said it this way, though he slay me, I will trust him. I'm... I'm going to hang on to God. As long as you have God, you have hope, and you always have God. Hang on to him in faith, church.